Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the greatest bloody matches in professional wrestling history, and a writer on the Segunda Caeta blog, and once on The Ringer. I am here with my good friend, <laughs> J.R. Goldberg. How are you, J.R.? We I'm are doing talk- great. We are going to be talking about Pirata Morgan versus El Farone. Uh, Caballera contra Caballera, hair versus hair, from November 16th, 1990. A match I know that you've got a lot of fondness for. Uh, it's a match I've got a lot of fondness for, and uh, definitely uh, is it appropriate for this book, because this is up there uh, with the bloodiest matches in this book. I mean, certainly it's 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 one of the grossest matches of all time, right? <laughs> like, it's... You, yeah. There's no way to talk about it without talking about one of the most grisly things you'll ever see in professional wrestling. Yeah, I mean, save like leg breaks and stuff like that. Or right. Whatever. I mean, or, or like that time uh, that uh, what's his name, uh, sexy Eddie, I had the arterial spray out of his arm that drank it. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I think I was live at that. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went to. I, I'm pretty sure I went. I we, me and. Uh, our mutual friend uh, Tom Karagasner went to a CZW tournament of death, and it was definitely the one that had Green Phantom Necro, and I th- and I'm pretty sure it had Sexy Eddie in the arm. I think thing you might too. be right. Was that yeah. the same one where you ended up going to Atlantic City to watch boxing after? Yeah, Arturo yeah. Gotti against like a yeah, Polish Gatti, guy. But... Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great uh, that's a great road trip. Um, but yeah, no, that was my experience with going to deathmatch wrestling is that by about by about an hour and a half into it, you're so desensitized by violence that nothing affects you. Yeah, it's <laughs> like incredible. It's impossible yeah. to like you just I think that I think the finish of that I think was Necro Butcher going through like four flaming tables off of off of like a you know, like a trailer truck or something like that through glass. <laughs> and it really was like as soon as that happened, we're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty nasty. We should that happened to get you. on the road. Yeah. <laughs> We talked. We even talked about that the last pod for uh, for connoisseurs of the Jr. and Phil uh, way of the blade podcast experience. Yeah, um, I mean, we've been on three or four podcasts together at this point, Phil. That's right? True. I mean, at least, yeah. at least this is our second one of mine. We've been on a couple of at least one, but maybe more than one. Um, uh, we did wrestling, wrestling is gross. gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we did a we did a fresh air together. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Mark Mark Marin asked us who our guys were, and you were like Mickey Knuckles, Ian Rotten, <laughs> Mickey and Ian. <laughs> I uh, I went to I went to a party uh, at this at this game convention I went to last weekend. We we there was a party through a bunch of mutual friends um, and people that uh, I worked with in games. Uh, everyone's vaccinated. Don't judge me. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, they, there's um, an escape room, and what you're trying to escape is Omicron. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody fails. Um, but I was there talking with Jeff Stormer, who's a big wrestling fan, and, and we somehow got on the topic of of something. And I said, and I was like a little drunk uh, at the time, of course. And I said, like, I was like, you know, far be it for me to like try and be revisionist or like you know cover people who may be bad people and just sort of talk about their art and try and talk them up and he stops me and he's like you wrote an entire zine about ian rotten like you don't have to preface anything about this <laughs> look i mean i don't know it's just like at some point you gotta say look hey, this people in this they're all pieces of shit right i don't think any of them are faithful to their wives 
No, it's unbelievable how bad all of them are. But like, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. That's part of the allure, right? Although every person I've had a way of the person I've had a way of the blade has been a delightful, uh, charming, very pleasant person to interact with. So sure. I mean, I, sure. Steve Card, nicest guy in the world. Couldn't believe how nice <laughs> Steve Card is. You wouldn't think. That's awesome. You'd, yeah. Like you think? I mean, I don't know. I just kind of imagine like a guy from. Grow up, went to the Florida territory. You wouldn't think he'd be a nice guy. No reason to think he's a nice guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Delightful. Delightful, lovely, lovely man. Dustin Rhodes, same thing. Yeah. Julius Smokes, a pleasure to interact with. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel McCovey's a piece of shit. But oh, everybody else yeah. is uh, oh. everybody else is, is, yeah. is an absolute delight. Um, that dude sucks. Oh my god, he's no, the worst. Of course. I. <laughs> Hey Daniel, <laughs> hey, what's up, buddy? He actually listens to this. Not like, like, yeah. not like Steve Card's gonna check us out talking about a Piranha Morgan match. Oh, it's so nice that so what a lovely guy it was. Well, did you see that? It's funny that you bring this up, and then I promise I'll stop derailing your podcast. Um, so, uh, I was on Wrestling Is Gross discussing Mickey Knuckles, right? Like we did a, a full Mickey episode that was like three and a half hours long. And um, the running joke through the podcast was me like stopping myself because I was very drunk by the end of it from saying things that were like too sexually explicit about Mickey Knuckles and uh, being like, yeah, well, I can't say that because like on the off chance she listens to this, I don't want Mickey Knuckles to be like upset. Right. And Bucky and Siobhan were both like, there's literally no chance that Mickey Knuckles makes it three hours into this podcast. Like, just go nuts, you know? And then, of course, immediately the day that it drops, Mickey Knuckles listens to the podcast and, like, responds in detail about things that she thinks we got right and got wrong. <laughs> really? I, w- yeah. I am shocked Mickey Knuckles even knows how to, to like, download a podcast. Oh, yeah. No, she, mean, she listened. Wow, that's awesome. Mickey Knuckles, one of the greats. Um, that didn't make it into my book. Certainly will make it into a sequel, uh, for sure. Uh, maybe more than one match. Uh, it feels yeah, feels I like an... Parada's uh, yeah. in two matches. The great Parada Morgan is in two matches in our book. And we discussed his match with El Dandy, which has also got a lot of blood in it, but isn't this... Isn't this. No, no, no. Right? Like, that's a pro wrestling match with, like, pro wrestlers in it. And this is something, <laughs> this is something entirely different uh, than that. This is, this is, so, I mean, let me just, uh, the finish of this match yeah. is a blood stoppage. Yeah. And the idea of a Lucha Libre hair match stopping on a blood stoppage seems absolutely insane as a concept with the amount of just blood that is spilled in a normal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like like your generally average hair match, right? Uh, your box standard hair match. The amount of blood that is spilled in that is is you know ungodly. So to get, to get to the point where you could watch a hair match in Lucha Libre and go, yeah, yeah, the ref probably should have stopped that and have it be legitimate. But that's what this match is. I mean, you watch this at the end of this match, you're like, yeah, yeah, they yeah, should have stopped that a couple of minutes earlier. I think. <laughs> This is a horror show. The the ref is well the the lucha doctor in this match is hilarious. Like I, Parada Morgan is bleeding buckets from his eye, and he just strolls up with literally like one square of tissue paper, yeah, like, and is like, 
yeah, this probably does it, right? And then just, like, saunters back away. And then, like, five minutes later is like, I should probably interrupt. Yeah, I mean, Pro- I mean Ferone breeds a lot, too. I mean, Ferone is, you know, understands what he's involved in. And it's appropriate in the level of blood. He bleeds a normal amount for a hair match, which, again, is a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, the he normal like amount 35 for- seconds in. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the first thing, but yes, he does. That. I'm actually, you know, I often have these matches on, uh, in, uh, while I'm watching, I just had the doctor to just saunter over and dab lightly at the absolute, <laughs> absolute full ketchup bottle level amount of blood spewing out of Prada or Morgan's vacant eye socket. Yeah. Just like a little dab. Like, doo, 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 okay, we're fine. Like, no effect on the amount he was bleeding at yeah. all right like he didn't did that did nothing no absolutely not i mean it's truly incredible i mean it's it's like a sight gag right like it's something yeah. it's <laughs> like no something out, it's something guy. out of the simpsons yeah. right like where like what is it like like the uh was like there was a thing where the mobsters shoot off all these machine guns and then one guy comes over with a little pop gun it's like that <laughs> the pop gun <Yeah>. boop <laughs> just dab I mean, like, you know, famously, Mike Tyson, um, when he lost the uh, heavyweight championship to Buster Douglas in Tokyo, like the people in his um, corner were famously unprepared. I yeah, they're putting ice in, in, in like uh, uh, silicon gloves and stuff. Yeah, to, yeah. Ice, in a, ice in a rubber glove because they didn't have an end swell. And it really feels like this doctor is the equivalent of like a Mike Tyson corner man in Tokyo. <laughs> Just like he didn't bring a... You didn't bring any more than that look like Kleenex from your pocket. You don't have like any any like medical devices or anything like that. You do something about this guy, he's gonna die, right? You're in the rig. There's also like like the, right before the finish, right? Where and I can't ever tell if it's the same doctor or if he like got one of his buddies, but like Parada Morgan is leaning against the bottom rope, bleeding absolute buckets, and then the doctor comes over and just grabs him by the hair. <laughs> for like and sort of like roughs him up a little bit and like holds him in place while the other guy like looks at the cut for a few seconds and then falls it off but like it, it's a very sort of bizarrely unnecessarily violent move by the doctor <laughs> it's very funny it's very weird it's surreal yeah this is this is a I mean, both guys are really great. I mean, this isn't just like a horror show. This isn't just like ma- the mass transit incident, right? Although it's as bloody as that. It's like a great wrestling match. Oh, I have a lot uh, to say. I mean, it would be a match. it would yeah. be a great wrestling match even if like there was uh, no blood. Maybe not no blood, but then it was like a normal amount of blood. If you didn't have, if you didn't have, yes, yeah, right at the point now where he's pulling this guy's hair. If you didn't have this like absolute nightmare coming out of Prada Morgan. So, I mean, for people that don't know, I think most people who are probably listening to this do know. We talked about it in the previous part. Prada Morgan has lost his eye uh, um, in a final uh, dest- uh, final destination style uh, accident where he it blew up. Missed a tope and he landed on his eye, and the thing exploded. After, if you have to listen to the previous uh, pod with Eduardo, where he described listening to a Prada Morgan interview, where he talked about how this was like a, uh, um, this has been something the, the gods have been coming from his eye his entire life, or something like that. Um, so, and w- one, and his magic trick is that he can blade the interior part of his empty eye socket. And create what he did in this match, which is like a fountain of blood pulsating out of his eye. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, it's, 
you know, really horrible to look at in the, in like the absolute greatest way. You know, the greatest magic trick in wrestling history <laughs> is the Parada Morgan empty eye socket, right? It really is the coolest and the most horrible thing. There's a, the way that this match is shot too. Um, you, you know that Morgan is bleeding for a while. Like once, and we'll, we'll get into this. I, I, I love this match. I can talk about a lot in this match, but when his head gets rammed into to the post by Ferriot in the third fall, um, you know, like pretty shortly after that, that he's bleeding and you see blood, right? But you like think it's a normal amount of blood for a third fall. And right. then there's this close-up shot, like a couple minutes after that, where it is truly shocking how much blood is is coming from everywhere, and it's 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 like something out of a horror movie at that point. I mean, it, it is unsettling to see when you see that yeah. close-up shot. Yeah, I, I don't I don't watch horror movies that are this bloody. <laughs> like if something has happened in a movie and it was like I somehow was watching it, I would not stop watching it. Like I'm not somebody who watches like Hostile or shit like that, but that's what right. this felt like. It was like watching, you know, you were watching, a, um, you know, Saw Four, <laughs> one of those movies that are just about like somebody being horrifically tortured. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think you would. I don't remember. I mean, I don't know if those are movies you watch, but I don't remember really. I can't think of a movie I've seen with a visual as disgusting as the visual of Piranha Morgan's, uh, you know, eye socket spray, you know, pulsating blood out of his head. Like, I don't remember a movie visual that gross. I don't know if, if you've got a, a bigger I mean, the, the, vocabulary for the only horrible. The one that's coming to mind right now, and it's not a perfect analogy by any stretch of the imagination, is the the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the girl is covered in blood and is like scream laughing in the back of the pickup truck as she drives away from Leatherface. Yeah. That's the only thing that is <laughs> popping into my head in terms of just like the, the amount of blood present on this man's face and chest. Yeah, there's a... I, I, another thing I was thinking of was in uh, season one of The Wire. Uh... Omar's boyfriend and accomplice and robbing the Barksdales, uh, Brandon gets captured and tortured and they yes. leave his body splayed out in the courtyard with one eye missing, and uh, eventually leads to you know uh, Michael B. Jordan's character Wallace having like an emotional breakdown and not being able to you know exist in that world anymore. And I felt a little, you feel a little like Wallace. You want I can't. You know, his eyes missing, man, and it, and it fucks with me. It's true. It fucks with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand this is Lucha Libre hair match. It's all in the game, but it fucks with me a little bit. Yeah. It, it really is, really is horrible to watch, man. It, it, it's, it's. I mean, God bless Prada Morgan. What a, what a guy. What a psycho that guy Who's is. Bodie in this analogy. Who's Bodie in who's the Lucha Libre who's, world? Who's Bodie in the Lucha Libre world? I don't know. Maybe that doctor. About <laughs> <laughs> as effectual as yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah, it's like look, it's in the game. This is what we're expecting here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it kind of just ends on it. Ends, this match almost ends with just like a punch, right? Like they're just they're looking at him, and you know, just it's like one punch, and the doctor's kind of got. We got no, we got to stop this. 
we got to end this, Matt. We got to end this. This is too much. Yeah, I mean, and they they sort of do, um, like, in some ways it is a, they take a page from boxing in that, like, they call Parada down, they check the cut, they hold him down. You know, the doctor, you know, at some point, sort of throws in the towel, but then he gets back up and he tries to go again and then they call it, which, you know, it's right. sort of, it feels like a very realistic quote unquote finish, I guess, uh, you know, right, yeah. The kind of thing where, you know, the, whoever is on, you know, commentary would have, it would be yelling that the doctor should have stopped this two rounds ago. Oh yeah, for sure. And you, you see that all the time in, in boxing or, you know, I don't watch MMA, but like you see it in boxing where like, you see someone get knocked down and they get back up and there's a standing eight count and you can tell that it's going to end 30 seconds from now, you know, like everybody in the building knows it. But. Sure. And, and you should probably, and, they, and there's no reason for the guy to take four or five more punches to Just, the head. Yeah. Unprotected right, it, 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 punches to the face. Right. Yeah. Or the, it, the, uh, the, yeah, exactly. It's a fate accompli, right? We know what's going to happen. And it, there definitely is a point in this match where you feel like that. You yeah. know, Prada Morgan's a guy who's not going to lose his hair and still is, you know, going after it in most of this match, right? He is, he definitely is fighting in this fight, right? He's in it, even though he's bleeding, right? He oh, yeah. Gets some, sure. He gets some, you know, he's on offense. He gets, you know, some moments there before finally decide, you know, before coming to an end. He has significantly more offense than Ferreon throughout this entire match, I would say. Right, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, even like Ferreon goes for that splash and puts his knees up. I mean, yeah, Parada, you know, while... Yeah, in some ways, it, I don't know. In some ways, you almost think about, like, man, is, is Ferreon... Uh, are they banana peeling his heroin? Yeah, no, I sense, mean, like, I, that's how is this, is this Scott? Is this Scott Hall, Hector Garza? This is just like... You know, yeah, oh no, I put him over. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's it, that I think about that a lot. And I think that that's sort of how it feels where they, they, you know, I wonder what the politics of it were, right? Like, I, I it feels like as, as schmazzy a finish as you get in an Aquestus match where there's essentially always a pretty definitive finish. And I, I wonder right. if there was backstage stuff between Ferio and being like, I have to go over, you know, or, or whatever. Right. They came up with yeah. this. I mean, I, I would love what, a, what an amazing, if this was like a political move on Parada's part, it's like, I'm not going to lay down for you, <laughs> but what I'll do is I'll carve big chunks out of the dead socket in my eye. So I bleed so repulsively <laughs> that they have to stop this fight. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean that's what I, that's how we're going to end it. That's the finish I'm calling. That's true wrestling no brain stuff right there too, right? Yeah, fuck over for Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bleed to death and it's going to make you look yeah. kind of shitty. But it'll make you look it. shitty, which is what's important to me specifically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Is it going to require it's going to re- might require me to almost die in the ring, yeah. but I'm I mean, maybe, right? He, I mean, he in my eye socket after this. Oh, <laughs> God, what a awesome gross I, mean, I love this match. What a match. But, yeah. Oh, my God. Don't, don't. For folks that are uh, uh, listening to this podcast that are only mildly fans of blood, this is one that I cannot recommend <laughs> to you if somebody who has a, uh, uh, you know, is, is, you know, I like wrestling and I'm okay with blood. No, this is something you only watch if 
you're, you've come in with a certain amount of steeliness to your, to your, uh, you know. Yeah, but attitude, only like right? the last four minutes. I mean, like I would say that the first fourteen or whatever of this match are like extremely compelling traditional Apuestas work. Yeah, it's true. Um, Is it only four minutes? I guess it's only four minutes. I mean, he's yeah. bleeding a normal amount up until yeah, the Fer- end of Ferion this. Yeah, bleeds like a, a normal amount, you know? I mean, and then, um, yeah, I mean, I actually, like, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know how deep you want me to get into this match, but, like, I could... Hey, man, get deep. All right, all right. I mean, bring you on to be shallow. <laughs> so there's a couple things that I would say that I, I like to point out about this match, because it's probably... I don't know if, well, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't say that it's my favorite Lucha match ever or something like that, uh, but I, I've probably watched it more than I've watched matches from, you know, a similar time period that I would say are better. Like, certainly I've watched this match more than I've watched, like, um, uh, what's a good example? Like, Satanico versus Sangre Chicana in 87, which I think is a strictly better match. I, I like that match way more, but I've I've watched this more than that, if that makes sense. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, I get you. It's a weird match to have be to be that rewatchable because it is so Yeah. But I, there, there's there's specific things in this match that um I think are important to me in terms of how I view wrestling and how I try and express my view of wrestling to other people. And I think that they are readily apparent narratively in this match in ways that they maybe aren't in other matches. Um, and so uh, this is a, a good example to people of the way I think about wrestling. So I, I watch it because it, it clicks in my head in a way that other matches don't sometimes. Right, you know? Articulate that a little bit. Will, what about yeah. this one? So um, I may have talked to you about this before, um, but one of my... Uh, big things in in wrestling and something that made wrestling click for me uh, later in life not like when i was watching it when i was a kid or whatever but like maybe six or seven years ago when i was like really starting to write about wrestling in a different way um i was reading this book uh called subversive sequels in the bible um which is a essentially like a, a text that takes uh, Hebrew Bible, right, um, and uh, looks at it in a essentially literary way, and uh, talks about how there's stories throughout the text that are um, uh, that are essentially the same story with major components of the story subverted in some way. Um, like a, a a good example would be like the Binding of Isaac, and then the story of Job, where they're essentially set up where there's like a, a God asks or puts upon this person this is seemingly impossible task. But in one, uh, the Binding of Isaac, God rewards Abraham for uh, essentially following his instructions to the T, even though those instructions were like clearly morally reprehensible, right? And then in Job, he ends up like applauding Job for yelling at him, basically, right? And being like, what the heck are you doing? Right. Um, and so I the, this idea of the subversive sequel, I think, is really, really present in a lot of uh, Apuestas matches. And I think that you see it here 
in this match in a couple really interesting ways. So like in the first fall, right, you see Ferreone bleed almost immediately off of the uh, post bump, right? Which is the first thing that you see in the match. And then the fall, the first fall ends with Parada Morgan doing the big splash, right? And then in the third fall, you see uh, huge amounts of blood, more blood uh, off of the opposite. You see Ferreon uh, ramming Parada Morgan's head into that post and getting a huge, huge amount of blood, right? And then the truly like the end of the match where you realize sort of what is about to happen is Parada Morgan missing the same splash. Ferreon gets out of the way, right? And I think that it puts in, like when you when you look at moments like that and they're really stark in this match, it puts into relief something that's super interesting to me about wrestling, which is that you can have the exact same action, like literally the exact same move, right? Or series of moves in the same order done in the same match by two different people. And you will get two extremely different emotional reactions and, uh, and narrative bridgeways from both of those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't, this is why I like having you on here. I don't think that, I mean, I, you know, I've, I don't know how much I've written about wrestling in my life. Lots. I don't know if I've ever thought about it as deeply. Like mine's a lot more. It's like, man, that was a great looking drop kick. Yeah, no. Fuck, hey. Farone's got a good looking tope. And you're yeah, like, yes. tope reminds though. me of of the of the narrative similarities between uh, Job and Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> That too. <laughs> things can be a lot of different things. That's the beauty of uh, a beauty of criticism and art, right? Absolutely. Things can be one thing, and things can be something else, and both of those things are uh, are uh, are legitimate, right? But like, not to bury the lead, though. But like, I mean, look, Lucha Libre is very Catholic. Oh yeah, no, right? Lucha is very. So the very idea Catholic, that the, right? the, the idea that there's uh, that the uh, that that's something that uh, is it. A, a, a real thing you need to read into. I mean, maybe, maybe not, right? Both these guys probably have spent a fair amount of time uh, reading the Bible. Oh, yeah, probably. And I'm not saying that, like, the structure of Lucha is intentionally structured in the same way that the Bible is. Like, like that that would be a foolish claim, right? Like, I don't think I don't think Parada Morgan is, like, going up to Farion and being like, hey, like, read this book by Judith Klitzner. Let, let's base our match around this, right? Like, but I... I think that um, there's the people in Lucha Libre that we put up on a pedestal as people that traditionally have great Apuestas matches. Like Atlantis is another really good example of this, are able to take the actions that happen in the first fall and subvert and reinvent them in the third fall in ways that are tremendously interesting and don't just feel like inorganic recreations of the the first fall over again but this time the face does it right right now i get now now uh the rock's gonna hit a stunner right exactly right yeah you could see it is like a a sense of a an ebb and flow in it where it's like this is uh this is my moment this is your moment mm-hmm 
Yeah. In some way, you know, and we're going to, and we're, we're going to exist in the, yeah, and, and probably, I mean, I, I assume Lucha Libre is almost, ex, I don't know how much planning these guys go into this. Uh, no, into, I bet they into a match. It, you know, I mean, uh, in the ring. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah. But I, it does feel like when you watch a great match that it is like a story at the beginning is paid off by the story at the end in a way that you don't, I think, even see in the best wrestling and other parts of the world. Yeah, I would agree. And I think the, the, <clears throat> The three-fall structure inevitably helps with it, too, right? I think right. there's something else that's really interesting about this second fall, and I think that um, it speaks to something that Parada Morgan does. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that he's like a thinking man's wrestler like, you know, Bachwinkle or, or, you know, Buddy Rose or somebody is, but, like, there's something he does in this match that I think is is kind of cool that you don't see a lot in Aquestus matches where... He wins that first fall, and then the second fall, he essentially switches to the traditional third fall offense where he does, like, a lot of roll-ups and a lot of submissions and just tries to get, like, a quick, cheap, easy pin. There's so many near falls and uh, and holds in that second fall, and I I don't think it works necessarily, like, as well as as you know a sort of a more traditional structure would but i applaud him for trying something that theoretically is logical uh and uh you know trying to play with with structure in ways that you don't see often right i gotta get my i gotta get on out of here yeah yeah he wins uh, that first ball possible. and then he's just like yeah i'm just gonna slap on submissions and you know do do near falls you know do roll-ups until i can get it and I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You see it a lot back and forth in third falls, especially like five years ago in Lucha. That was like a big thing where the third fall was just near falls. Like it was their version of the like WrestleMania main event, just like throw a bomb, lie on the ground, you know? Right. But uh, um, he tries it in the second fall and it, it fails. Like, like it's not interesting, but it's uh, it's logical. And I applaud that. I like it. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. I mean, the second fall of this match is not the memorable thing. No, 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 no. It's right, so it's not like when you, when you think about this match, it's not like, oh, man, I remember all the action in the second fall. I mean, you think of that kind of hit, the first fall as the real first moment of excitement with Ferone coming out with his cool windbreaker and getting, you know, that stained with blood. And then, of course, the third fall opens with, you know, this the posting of Parada and the, you know... And, and the horror and the horror that follows that. Yeah, I mean that third fall. The whole third fall is just like nonstop action. Like uh, the it, it, Morgan taking a hip toss bump over the top rope and then just getting absolutely annihilated by a tope. Like, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, if that was all it was, right? If all this, if the, oh, the only real memorable moment of this match was that hip toss bump and tope, it would still be a super memorable match. Yeah, right. I mean, moment. it would be it would be a very very good match that we probably they would end up on a '90s lucha set on DVD VR, right? Right. Yeah, I'd put it on a Schneider cop. If yeah, all it was was right. like, oh shit, look at this bump Parada Morgan takes in this yeah. match. And look at this incredible tope in the fro takes. Obviously, that's you know the eleventh and thirteenth most cool things about this match. Right. right? Of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Parada's crazy. <laughs> yeah, Parada's crazy. Just I mean, what an insane. And it's funny because like I, um, 
I obviously like the dandy match that that you guys covered too, and he's got some other matches that I think are are really really great that are in a similar style to this. And I think in this like a massacre, like a massacre, that massacre match match is very good. Um, Yeah, and then I think you know uh, he's still doing weird stuff now. I mean, he was a really good second in that uh, for his son in that Golden Magic, Ijo del Parada Morgan, Apuestas from a few years ago. And I think he gets bloody in that too, but like he, he's still doing stuff, but um, yeah, I think he's still working like, you know, spot shows. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. I think it was something I looked up with, but I'm curious when his last uh, hair, time he lost his hair is. It can't be, but I bet it's pretty recent. I mean, this is an answerable question. I can just look this up, but I'm sure it, it wasn't that long ago that he lost his hair. I, well, I wonder, mean, he, wonder if he's lost his hair post COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Okay, so no, it looks like his last hair match listed on uh, Lucha Wiki, which I think is a pretty good source. Pretty accurate. Is he lost it to El Hio de Mascar Sagrada in uh, like 2017 or 18 or something? 19. 19, okay. Yeah. Is that IWRG, right? I don't know what the Tula Dialende in, oh. in Hidalgo, that looks like something that... Yeah, yeah, okay. Who knows, right? Yeah. He lost it in uh, Arena Guatemala, in, not in Guatemala, but in Mexico, in a three-way to Voltron and uh, Hacha Diabolica. <laughs> so, you know, the names get a little... Yeah. You know, once you get into later into his career, the names he's losing that to. I mean, I mean he's Voltron. addicted to losing his hair. I mean, let's yeah. just let's just put it... I mean... I've been. I think about this a lot, like the economics of him losing his hair. And I, you guys, you and Eduardo talked about this a little bit. But I, I did the math one time. I think there was a twelve-year stretch where he lost his hair eighteen times or some nonsense like that, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, like, I imagine the paydays were always fine, right? But there has to be diminishing returns at some point, right? Like, how much, how much do you think he's making? I don't know. I mean, it's Mexico too, right? Growth, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You think it's like a thousand bucks? I mean, is it yeah, more than that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's probably more than that when he lost loses it to El Dandy, right? Yeah, oh yeah, no, for sure. I or mean, or Vampiro in '92. I'm yeah. sure it was good in Arena Mexico, but if he loses it, uh, you know, to El Pulpo. <laughs> in ta- in Rio Bravo, I mean, yeah. that can't be that much money, right? No, I can't imagine. Yeah, that's like that. That's like a good indie payday, right? Right. Yeah, it's like you know, that's somebody's. That's like how much MLW pays for you to <laughs> just show up, right? It's not great. Yeah. Like, how much do people get paid on at Dark? Does he get as much money as as like Colin Delaney made losing to Eddie Kingston on Dark this week? God, I hope so. They. <laughs> You, you, know, you should get your close personal friend Tony Khan to start booking some of these old luchadors. Like, bring in fucking Mr. Condor or something to fight Brian Danielson. <laughs> I, def- I, I definitely at least tried to get a copy of the um, from the promoter of the Negro Casas uh, Rocky Romero match oh, uh, yeah. to DM him and say, hey, Negro Casas. Yeah. I know Danielson would like to work Negro Casas on elevation. He would be excited about that. Yeah. That would be so uh, sick. Because Steer Casas, uh, I haven't been able to do it. The promoter, I got it. It's you know, the uh, but Steer um, uh, Casas, Rocky Mero is really great. Steer yeah. Casas looked great in you know this was last couple months ago. 
uh, in Denver, and he looked like a guy who could definitely work a 14-minute singles match and look against a younger guy and look like he belonged in there. It's, I mean... To take suplexes and shit, even though he's, you know, in his mid-60s. I mean, it's totally insane, right? And, like, uh, when you think about this, but what the first great Casas... Uh, Iro Santo match is what eighty three, right? Is it eighty three? I think it's eighty three. Isn't that? Oh, Jesus! And I like, know there was, I know there was one in eighty seven. I didn't realize there was one. I thought, that there, was, I thought there was one earlier than that that we have right. on tape. The one with the, where they come out in the car is eighty seven, right? Okay, yeah. Um, but irrespective, let's just say that that's the first great one. It was nineteen eighty seven, right? Both of those guys could still have a very compelling match in twenty. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, Sato looks virtually identical. Identical, it's insane. I mean, he doesn't look like he's aged at all. Yeah, um, and so you know, that's that's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, the fact that the fact that he can he because he does. I mean, you know, if you look close, you can see that he's pretty old, right? Right. But you gotta look kind of close. Yeah, Casas I mean, obviously gotta, without a mask like looks older, but also yeah. like still moves like he's in his thirties in a way. It's crazy. Yeah, um, I'm just looking on. I'm looking. It looks like there is an, a match in from Arena Nezin. I mean, yeah, it looks like their earliest singles match occurring in cage match is '84. Mm. But that doesn't. That we've got that on tape. I'm from Knucklepon and UWA? No, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the 87 match, I'm just getting confused with the fact that they had, I knew they had wrestled earlier than that, which is totally possible. Yeah, but. yeah I think it, I mean, I think it's the 87 and the Grand Olympic Auditorium in LA is there. Yeah. It's the Aplastus between, first Aplastus between the two of them. But they wrestled in 84 a bunch in UWA. I'm sure those were incredible. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, without a doubt, those were like, uh, uh, you know, put, and, and who knows? You know, that's the thing is there's all the time there is stuff that comes out that we don't think would ever come out. Of course, um, right? And shows up. So, you know, we never certainly were never expecting to get all that French stuff. And we got that. And so who knows? Maybe at some point there's somebody sitting there with 84 UWA uh, <laughs> on an old videotape or something like we that. We can only hope, right? We can only hope, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Prada Morgan, man, I, he wrestled IWRG. Like a couple weeks ago, <laughs> like a month, about a month ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for him. Yeah, so he's still around. He's still yeah. uh, he's still getting it done. Um, he's definitely uh, working like you know California shows. He worked low rider on a loco wrestling show. Oh wow! Okay. Um, yeah, this is that. Uh, that feels like something we should we should get keep our eyes on. That would be I need to find that. That was in July of this year. Was yeah? Is that the loco in Houston, or is this a different? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah that's kind of incredible. You know, they brought in Loki. Maybe we could get Parada Morgan versus Loki. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Uh, yeah, this show, this show is just has got your Gino Medina against Ricky Marvin. That's your dude, right? Oh yeah, Ricky Marvin is my boy. So Sadika's on this show. Yeah. Mil Muertes versus Rhino. That's a great card. That's a great card. Yeah. Okay, so this entire Loco Wrestling show is on YouTube. That's amazing. I'm going to watch it. Yes. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so the Parada Morgan Lowrider, Mascarita Sagrada's on this show, uh, working somebody named Chris Carter, Gino Medina, Ricky Marvin, wow. Sadika. 
Rhino Mil Muertes. I'm excited for that Sadika Mickey Knuckles quest this match. I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Um my yeah, that's that is definitely uh I mean that's is there a match upcoming in professional wrestling that you're as excited for as that? No, that I mean it? I just I, I just worked myself into a shoot by thinking about Ferrata Morgan versus Loki. Uh, but that's that's a match that's happening in my head and nowhere else, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's um, not that's not a real. That's that's a. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, you know this is this is coming out tomorrow, so we're, we're this is a, I'm not banking this or anything. So I mean that's an interesting question as we're turning to the new year. I don't know if there's anything scheduled that I'm as excited about as uh, Sonic and Mickey Knuckles. They had their their match. They had their that wasn't an Apuestas match. Was pretty good. It wasn't as good as you kind of were hoping it was going to be on paper. Yeah, I mean, I was there live and it was like, oh, that's right. it was a fun live experience, right? But like, they certainly like there was like, you know, in-ring promos afterwards talking about how this is like the greatest American women's death match of all time and whatever. And like, even at that, that moment where I was like high on the atmosphere, I, I was like, well, let's pump the brakes. You know, um, but it, it was a good time. I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I'll see if they can go again, you know? Yeah, I, I, I saw Sonic alive. Um, I don't know if I've, uh, at, a, uh, at the same show that had the New Rokasas Rocky Romero match, had a Sonic tag match, and she saw him live. Oh, I yeah. Felt like a ba- I felt like a bad father because <laughs> uh, I took my son Zach to this show and he. He's been to he'd been to a, a show uh, with me previously and enjoyed it. You know the way a five year old will enjoy something. Sure, where they'll you know they'll talk about how excited they are to go there, and then they'll talk about how much fun they had there. But when they're actually there, they're just kind of looking at your phone and yeah. wondering if it's time to go yet. Yeah, <laughs> but like there were point, he got into the Negro Casas match. Uh, he got into uh, Santo when we saw Santo. He still talks about that. That was pre-COVID. That was a couple, you know, years ago. He was even younger. Uh-huh. Um, was did not want to watch the park kids. Uh, uh, too scary. Did, yeah. did the skeletons are too scary. Um, yeah. And and but and then the Sonica thing. He was like kind of you know wild on high on the energy of the whole thing and running around like crazy while it was going on. But yeah, like you know, Sonica just there's a local like. Women's wrestler. I didn't know. I don't even get the sense of how trained she was. But Sadika, like, you know, like assaulted this woman. Oh yeah. Like, like it was gruesome. Like she, he, she, like, you know, cut her up with like a light tube, and you know, it felt looked like in the ring that she was going into shock. Like, <laughs> like she had turned white. I mean, it was kind of funny. But it was like, oh my god, what am I watching? Do you think we this- could get someone to book Sadika versus Sarah Dox and just bring this whole thing full circle? <laughs> yes, I don't know. I don't want any. I know she's not professional, Sadika. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what you like about her. But I don't know. I mean, like this woman. Like, there was a point where I think she kind of like threw a really weak chair shot. The wrestler that Sadika, I don't remember this woman's name. The Sadika was wrestling, kind of threw like a weak couple of weak, really weak looking chair shots. Yeah, and then like threw a chair shot where she kind of let the chair go a little bit, and like probably clocked Sadika a little bit. After that, it was just like, you know, my God, yeah. <laughs> call 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 the police. <laughs> Whatever Sadika is doing to this poor woman, and you know, like and it, it was a weird thing because it was a, announced as Sadika against the the. Local garbage rosters like this guy, the protector. 
It's the guy that they brought in when they brought into when they brought in Jimmy Havoc. He wrestled them. Oh, sure. And they have a they have a death match promotion. I've never been to their death match promotion in Denver. They think he's either the top guy or the promoter of their death match promotion. Uh, and he's at least he's not particularly. I don't know if he's listening to this podcast. My bad if he is. He's not very good, uh, but he's kind of like a you know. He at least is. This is a thing he does, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like if he's in there with Sadika, this is a thing he does, and you know. It's, but the, 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 they turn this into a tag for some reason with like another like a random another random guy I've never seen, and um, and then this woman teaming with the protector. And you watch, and you're like, ah, I shouldn't should have this be a singles match. I don't, this is, these extra people are not helping the situation. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like Sonic, it's not like, I don't know why, oh, we got to bring a woman, because Sonica's a woman, we have to bring a woman for her to wrestle? Sonica. Yeah. Protector kid. He's a guy, but he can't do this, right? He can't hang with her. No. Very few Much times. less like the idea that that he can that she, he's going to be too much for her. He needs to bring a woman for her to work again. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Is something. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, she would have had a really great match with Parada Morgan. May still be able would have had a really great still have a really great match with Parada Morgan, but certainly Sonic in nineteen a nineteen uh, a time machine Sonic in nineteen ninety one against Parada Morgan would oh, be man. can you imagine a prime Parada Morgan working Zona? I mean like oh uh, you know, if you could time travel like nineteen ninety one Parada Morgan into Zona twenty three. To I mean, just, yeah. d- does he work the 23? I don't think he has. I mean, Black Terry does, right? Black, Black Terry Black does. Black Terry's yeah. as old as, as... as Black Terry's significantly older. Black Sig- Terry's, what, 10 years older? Is least? he really 10 years older? How old is Prada Morgan? I thought they were about the same 59, age. 59, right? Okay. Prada's 59. Okay, yeah, so he's a lot older. And he's, yeah. in, there, he's in there doing that, right? I mean, don't have don't we have clips of that Black Terry Mr. Condor match? I mean, Mr. Condor is also pretty up there in age. Yeah, yeah. Black Terry, is, Black Terry is ten years old. He's sixty nine years old. Um, which you know, good lord, that is literally unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, Black Terry. I mean, it, it's it's insane. How I mean, all the great Black, any- t- almost all the great Black Terry matches we ha- have are matches he had when he's in his like mid sixty 50- plus. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> maybe some of the st- earlier stuff he's in his late fifties, but like we yeah. don't have any Black Terry in his when he's like forty one. <laughs> you know, like no. or, yeah. hardly any. Certainly, all the really iconic stuff is way later. Um, I mean, what when was the when was the match? Um, the what the fuck is that guy's name? I'm sorry. Um, the match at Coacalco. Um, against Wotan? Against Wotan. That's yeah, a, that was 2015, right? Yeah. 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 It's fucking um, crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. A 65-year-old man. Yeah, doing 20, 2016 was what the Wotan match was. I mean, he had a match with Ricky Marvin this year, which is almost as good as that. Yeah, I mean, that's my match of the year right now. So I think some of the... I think we've... I think I, I probably... It's up there on our list. I think we may have yeah, a couple of the Kingston matches in AEW may have passed it, but uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. but uh, you know it's certainly yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at. I mean, we've got on Segunda Caída, which is a blog that I that we both write for, have a complete and accurate Black Terry. I mean, the earliest one we have is 1990. So how old is he in 1990? Um, that's 
I mean, he would be 30, right? Yeah, okay. So we have some stuff when he's 30. Yeah. But, like, the great stuff, like, the real stuff where, I mean, why I don't have an epic, a match I ranked epic until 2004 (laughs) is the earliest (laughs) epic I have for Black Terry. Mid-40s then, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. And then we mean is like really, really gross, like bloody stuff. That was like a, a like a like a Black Terry Viana three versus Blue Panther Shuel Guerrero match, which is like a Maestro's match. But your Black Terry like bloody war stuff, that's like two thousand seven is the earliest stuff I have there. Yeah, yeah. The, the Cerebro Negro match, which um, is awesome. Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but we but. Uh, yeah, so he's a guy. It's it's weird that he's a guy that all the all the great stuff he had was in his fifties, and all and that was all really amazing. He's, he's got three matches in my book. And he's like one of the. I mean, Piranha's like this too, right? I could have, I could have put in four or five Piranha matches easily. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and even the even some of the Piranha matches, which I wouldn't classify as like good, like that that Vampiro Puestas match, like is one of the great carry jobs of all time, right? I mean, like, Vampiro literally wrestles like a baby deer trying to walk, and <laughs> Piranha Morgan makes it a compelling match, you know? Yeah, and, it, you know, Vampiro had something. Oh, yeah, no, he was over. He was super over. And he, he had over. some sort of, like, charisma to him. I mean, it wasn't a complete... I mean, there's some wrestlers who were really over and you just don't really understand why. But you kind of get why yeah. Vampiro was an over, like wrestler in his prime, and even later. But it was not yeah, because I mean, of his the skill when, in the ring, certainly. Sure, but there are times where he looks like trained or like has offense that I enjoyed. Like by the time he was in WCW and like hitting weird spin kicks and stuff, I was like, I get it. Like you know, like it's not my thing, but I get it. In those early '90s matches, you know, I'm just like that. There's nothing here. Like he can't do anything. He well, literally he, looks untrained. You know. Well, his best match ever was prob- uh, probably well after he retired. Was that uh, uh, a Pentagon match. Junior match yeah. in Lucha, yeah. Lucha Underground? Maybe Pentagon Junior's best match too. Oh uh, yeah, easily. Yeah, unless you count some of the tag stuff. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Pentagon Junior. I mean, there was a, there was a, a Pentagon Junior Ares match or something like that, where Pentagon Junior kind of wrestles like Abdullah. That's pretty good. Do you remember <laughs> what, what about, I'm talking how about? How does that? How does that? Um, how does that hero Penta match from AWH? I don't remember that match. I'm sure. I'm sure. Fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he had like a good. Didn't he have a good Sammy Callahan match in like AEW? He did have a good Sammy Callahan match in AEW. Uh, so you know, he's not. I mean, he's a guy who he's a guy who certainly now understands his lot in life and is perfectly happy to kind of do all that all that is necessary and not a to just to just not, do hand dancing and be over. Yeah. yeah okay. God, you know, get, make your money. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Begrudge him that, right? You know, make your money. He's kind of Stevie Ray at this point, but that's okay. <laughs> Stevie Ray had a long career, and there's some mo- moments of Stevie Ray's career I remember fondly. So, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with being Stevie Ray. Absolutely not. Or uh, who would be your worst Von Eric? Mike? Uh, that's not really an a- accurate. I, I mean,. I, I kind of have soft spots for all the Von Erics, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, like all the man, like I'm not going to count Lance or whatever, right? But like, 
the three main Von Erics I all think are pretty, pretty. David, Kerry, and Kevin. Not Mike, right? Not Chris. No, Mike, yeah, Mike, yeah, he's not. But, you know, that that doesn't seem like a fair comparison, right? That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, David, you know, I, I am. Get like, all depends okay. against toxic shock syndrome or whatever, then we can we can start to talk about it. <laughs> start to you can start to. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of who else would be your lesser brother in a tag team. He's not as good as uh, Brett Wayne Sawyer. Um, I, I don't think. Who's you your? Don't think so? Yeah, Penta's is good. Dude. Brett Wayne Sawyer. Brett Wayne Sawyer is pretty good. Brett Wayne Sawyer is all right. Let's think. I'm trying to think of shittier brothers at this point now. You know, yeah, it's not like a, um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, both the Steiners are incredible, right? Yeah, both the Hardys are incredible. I don't know. Is there a lesser young buck? I don't know. I don't really love either of them, but I think they're both. I feel like they're they're both equal, right? Yeah. Like I couldn't separate them. Yeah, you can't separate the. I'm trying to think of what other, right? I can't tell the difference between the Usos, particularly. No, and they're both they're both pretty good. They're right? both pretty good. Is there like another like brother tag team where like one guy is significantly where it's not like Johnny Ace and Animal team together a lot? What uh, about um? What about the Rougeaus? Right? Are they uh, is anyone? Somebody got like a preferred Rougeau? I think they're both yeah. pretty good, right? What oh um. What Nikki Bella's better than Brie Bella, right? Is it Is that how it works? I don't know, man. Is better than Brie? I don't know, man. I don't I will be honest with you, uh WWE women's wrestling of the early two thousands may be a little bit of a dry spot in my wrestling uh What about uh what about oh we're <laughs> we're overlooking an obvious one because there's an age gap. Um is Penta better than Cody compared like if Ray Phoenix is to Penta as Dustin is to Cody? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think the gap may be bigger, but that's just because Dustin is so much better than Ray Phoenix. Dustin's so much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that's a hard that's a hard comparison, right? Because it's like, I mean, I got uh, some time for Ray Phoenix. Uh, but, you know, there's not really... Like, I don't really love Cody, particularly. But Cody said, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one. Cody the, knows how to put himself in in like decent spots, right? Well, like Penta does has, too, right? I mean, that, you know, that's yeah. the thing you could say about him, right? It's like yeah. you know, that guy, uh, that guy knows how to put himself. Right? What's the, how's the heavy metal Penta Negro Casas Phoenix gap? Heavy metal is pretty good, um, but Negro Casas is one of the five greatest wrestlers of all time. Yeah, right. I mean, the the best. Um, so that gap may be larger. That gap is pretty large, yeah. I mean, you across Felino, that gap's not that big. Felino's also. Felino's great, yeah. Felino because Lucha is where you got a lot, of, a lot of like family members, right? There, there are a lot of brothers. I mean, I. I uh, There's oh, what about what about um? Wait, our uh, our Maximo and La Mascara are they brothers or are they just cousins? I think the, I think Maximo. I think Maximo Lamascara and uh, and Psycho Cloud are all uh, super porky kids. Yes, yeah. So I mean, Lamascara is terrible, right? Like he's he's probably equally worse to Maximo or to Psycho Clown. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's is he terrible? I thought he was just fine. 
I think he's pretty bad. I thought he was like pretty. a. I thought he was like Olympico or something. Like, ah, that guy's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was. I went to was went to a show. I was trying to do a lucha libre war a war on drugs double feature uh, mm-hmm. when I first moved to 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 Denver. Uh, the ban, not the destructive the social policy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but to make war on drugs, I had to bail before the main event, which was a Maximo La Mascara Psycho Club three way, which I probably should have stayed for. But uh, Demas and Zumbido made unannounced. Uh, um, unannounced uh, appearances in the trios match before the main event. So I felt like I got my money's worth. There you go. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, I wasn't expecting either Demas or Zumbido to show up. And here they both are. So I feel good about my 20 bucks, even if I don't see the main event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, when you try to time out these local Lucha shows, you're like, oh, they say get there at four, so I'm sure it'll be over by eight thirty. And like, no, nope, yeah, you get there at four, so you can watch the two and a half hours of uh, like musical chairs that the kids play in the ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly, followed <laughs> like, by forty five minutes of like hot potato, like, <laughs> loud ass DJ uh, cumbia yeah. music playing for uh, the actual show starts at seven and. And then there's just like, there's unstructured play for a while where they're just like, all right, kids, go take bumps. Like, (laughs) try an arm drag. Yeah. Who cares? See what happens. Bounce on the ropes. I'm definitely getting the, I'm getting this uh, rhythms of this down here. Like I showed up the first, like when I, we started, went to a couple shows post COVID, me and Zach. And the first one I showed up closer to the time they said on the full post, I don't know the hell I did that. And we waited for like an hour or plus it was a huge mistake with the final it was a disaster and the second yeah. time i did show up like an hour and 15 minutes late and i got there right around when the show was starting but i actually need to show up two and a half hours late so i miss all the undercard yeah uh, no, that's the that's the key play not that the undercard um, guys in these loser shows are bad but just like you're not gonna be able to keep a five-year-old's interest that much yeah. in your undercard locals working comedy spots like right. there was a, a tag team doing like a doing like a best uh, like a like a rip off best friends gimmick in the open. It's just like that, and then you know, Zach's not gonna give a shit about that. <laughs> like he wouldn't give a shit. If it was actually like if it is actually Trent and Tuck Taylor, it's not gonna keep a five years old interest. Much less two guys doing that uh, community theater style in a, <laughs> from a Colorado indie. <laughs> I am. Uh... I, uh, my my favorite indie lucha moment. The there was a an, excuse me an indie lucha fan that ran a couple months in a row like outside Baltimore, and I would drive down from Philly to go. And they brought in Sam Adonis one time, uh, who clearly had like a bunch of friends come from Pittsburgh to to you know hang out. And so all of his friends are at the bar during his match and they get to the finishing stretch of his match. Right. And he's like stooging around and stooging around and then like clear as day motions to his friends to order a round of drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Goes back to stooging, gets pinned like 30 seconds later and then immediately goes to the bar and takes a shot, which has (laughs) arrived. (laughs) Excellent. Kind of makes yeah. me like Sam Adonis more than I've ever particularly had much much uh, thought about him one way or another before that. No, it's it by far the coolest thing I've ever seen Sam Adonis do. Oh, and right? that's dope. <laughs> was he working in like local Baltimore loot stores or was he in there with like uh, fly-ins? 
Um, he may have been in there. Ah, uh, geez, I can't. I mean, it was a trios, so like there may have been one fly in and then two local dudes. You know. Yeah, I can just on imagine. each team. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just imagine Baltimore, local Baltimore luchadors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Baltimore accent. I can't really do a Baltimore accent, but I'm just visualizing. <laughs> that, I know there would always be Cuvero. like a arrow. <laughs> <Cuvero. laughs> <laughs> work a Work a yeah, hair versus hair. <laughs> that would be excellent. Yeah, yes. just every, everything in the Baltimore accent. Yeah. yeah. I went to a, a, a Delaware Lucha show one time, uh, which yeah. was headlined by Negro Navarro, uh, a, a tag uh, against uh, Solar, and, and I think Quackenbush was in the tag. And they had uh, they had they had your local Chikara guys working all the undercards of that, and there was some incredible indifference to an ants match, like they were running. <laughs> It was it was ants against it was ants against like the two Egyptian guys, yeah. And oh man, the people who were there, the local Delaware Mexicans there to see Negro Navarro, were not were not uh, buying what those Chikara boys were selling. Didn't care all. about Orange Cassidy, Drew no. Gulak, and no. that. Right, those guys are all television stars now. It's pretty funny when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that uh, main event is incredible, though, of that show. That was like, one of the better matches I've ever seen live. It was like Navarro and, gosh, it was six, man. But uh, Castagnoli was there and Quackabush uh, and Navarro was so, yeah. so good. I think, it, I think it surfaced on tape years later. I think the story was that Quackabush, even though he taped the show, like didn't want that match to get out a little bit because I think Navarro ate him up a little bit. I don't know, that may not be true, but that's the story I'm telling on this podcast. That Navarro kind of didn't, you know, like chewed up Quackenbush and so Quackenbush. I mean, it's equally likely that Quack didn't want it released because people were indifferent to his ants, right? <laughs> well, I think, he, I think he released the ants match. I just don't think he released <laughs> the main event with Digger tomorrow. I think I had to get like, I think the ants was, ants match exists. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think the story was that Quackenbush. Uh, did not have a good uh, did not have a good good interactions with Negro Navarro. That's um, amazing. Which you know, okay. I mean, Navarro feels like a guy that you either either he respects you or he doesn't. Yeah. And uh, and I don't think this. I didn't get the sense that he did. Oh, you know. <laughs> All right, that's fine. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I think he did with our buddy. Uh, I think uh, our buddy uh, Daniel, I think he sort of, apparently, he clearly put, was willing to put him over a little more than he put over Quackenbush. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, um, it's certainly, I mean, that, that match is very good. And the Zack Sabre match, too, you know, he, he sort of clearly works pretty evenly, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. uh, all right. I think we, we've got about an hour, and I think it's been about 40, uh, 35 minutes since we've discussed the smash. It's fine. There's, I mean, the thing is, like, there's there's not a ton to say about it. I mean, it's just a classically structured Apuestas match that happens to have one of the grossest blade jobs of all time. You, you know, I mean, if I, I got into the reason why I like the structure, but there, yeah. there's not, like, I can't point to specific things aside from, like, oh, you know, Parada Morgan has good punches. You know, I mean, what, what? 
Farone has a great time. We did talk a little more about Farone because he wasn't a passenger in this. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he's got this like tremendous Al Bundy energy, you know, <laughs> like scored four touchdowns in the state championship yeah. play. Like, right. it's like a, I, I, I mean, he's a guy, he's kind of one of the classic guys who was kind of lost his mask and did better because he's kind of handsome. Uh, yeah. The villain with the emerald eyes is his nickname. Yeah, great, like, great a, nickname. Yeah, like, you know, a, a cool dude, right? Like, you know, had some good other good matches. I, I think a guy who probably doesn't doesn't make a list of the top, you know, seventy five luchadors of all time or something like that. But it's probably in the next seventy five. And you yeah. know that it's it, that's that there's there's no that's no diss, right? Like that's you can have an incredible career and not be one of the top seventy five luchadors of all time. Of course, uh, and again, you know, we don't have we don't have a lot of his middleweight title stuff, right? He was a guy who held a bunch of belts in the eighties, um, and certainly everything we do have of him is really good. So it's it's possible that if we had more Ferone, um, we would have more Ferone. I mean, he's a guy with a long Sigurdsson feud, yeah, uh, and so and we've got one of them and. I will say, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you here because there's probably a point in Ferrion's career where uh, he he wasn't this. But of all the big matches that we have, where I've seen Ferrion, and I'm not going to pretend that that's exhaustive by any stretch. I don't feel like he's the best guy in any of those big matches. You know? Yeah, but I mean, we have a we have a, a title match against Atlantis. In '85, why would he be the best guy in that match, right? Like, we got him <laughs> against Sagri. We got him with some, some Sagri Chikata stuff in trios, right? No yeah. reason to think he'd be the. Why would he? You know, he's in a. No, that, he's in a four saying, way. Like, we have a four way from '84, which is on the the Lucha side with Paraguayo Viano three Sagri Chikata and Alfro. He's four in that, but fuck, <laughs> man, look, look at those other three. Right? He's like, the Taue of that match. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're still Taue. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, shit. I mean, you're, you know, you know those. That, that's that's three of the three of the all time greatest wrestlers of all time. And then Alfred Road, who doesn't look out of place. It's not like we watch that match and you go, "What the fuck is he doing in there?" It's just no, he's yeah, not. Yeah. He's just not Sangre Chicano, Viano Three, or Paraguayo. He's not a Piranha Morgan, and you know that's fine, right? You're still, you yeah, know, no, that's fine. Yeah, the, yeah, he's fine. He's good. You know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being the fourth best guy on a championship basketball team, right? No, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if you're a, you're, you know, if you're a, a Lamar Odom, you're still really good at basketball. Lamar Odom was not the fourth best guy on that team. Lamar Odom was was significantly better than the fourth best guy on that team. It's the team certainly the third best, right? Well, you know, what? I mean. <laughs> I don't think Kobe's the best person on that team either, right? Like I think that the or at least let's put it this way. I don't think that I don't think that in the in that playoffs that Kobe was the most important person. You I think that the as Pow and Odom are probably more important to that run. That feels like that feels like unnecessary Kobe Bryant slander. <laughs> uh, which is fine. I mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, I'm not a Kobe. I'm not like a Kobe guy is gonna come here and be infuriated at your Kobe slander, but yeah, yeah, it's fine. I mean, but all right, let's. I mean, yeah, slow yeah, your yeah roll a Kobe bit slander here. is gauche at this point. Yeah, right? I mean, you know. yeah, we've he's 
passed on, right? Like, we're, yeah. you know, it was a tragedy. And we can't that, shit on him anymore. Yeah, for, <laughs> for, you know, doesn't that kind of uh, forgive sins, whatever those sins are be? Look, I, look I, maybe I should just... I don't, I don't, we're deep into this podcast, but I probably shouldn't, uh, if I'm, if I'm trying to get another job, another gig at the ringer, I probably shouldn't spend a lot of time talking about, th- talking about Colorado, uh, and Kobe Bryant <laughs> outside. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do yeah. it. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the, the editors are going to listen an hour 15 into a way of the blade about a Piranha Morgan match, but you know, still we're not going to do it. I'm not going yeah. to, don't, don't Abraham Washington yourself. Yeah. I'm yeah. not interested. I got, I got I got, I got aspirations, Jack. I got to keep a fucking cards close to my vest. I'm still gonna. I'm still worried about at some point. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to endeavor. Uh, there's a lot of people that at some point I may have retweeted who I'm not gonna retweet anymore. Uh, You're right. <laughs> friends of ours. <laughs> I'm fucking. Yeah. I'm not gonna name names. But let's just say there's some. There might be some distancing from some <laughs> my less savory associates. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, that, you got some stuff to plug, my friend? Uh, I don't know. I'm always on Twitter at Wrestling Bubble. Um, I uh, I have games. Uh, I have a zine that Phil and I wrote together. Uh, I I have a lot of stuff that's close to being out, so I don't have anything to plug that's like that's new or novel right now. Um, but. But, where, but get, get, where can you get the games in the zine in case folks who are listening to this and didn't get them the first time you're on? Sure. They're uh, they're on my itch page, which is jrgoldb.itch.io, um, which if uh, uh, you weren't paying attention like I wasn't when I made that name, it spells jrgoldbitch.io. So. Yes, and our zine is about Ian Rotten, uh, Meth Lab Battle Arts. It's, it's, you know, if you like Way of the Blade, uh, but thought it was too mainstream and accessible. Yeah, you wanted, uh, to, you wanted to be like the, the niche of the niche. Yeah, if you, you wanted know? to get the, if you wanted to get the pure, uncut nonsense, uh, that zine is excellent. It's got cool art, too. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yes, you should pick that up. And then, yeah, you've got really, uh, you've got really uh, niche cool, uh, like, role-playing games, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So I have a collection of Jewish-themed role-playing games that uh, I worked on with a bunch of other people. Um, I have a, another zine um, that's all games inspired by Towns Van Zandt songs. Um yeah, and then I, I have some some projects in the works that should come out pretty soon that I think uh, I think will be well received too. So stay tuned. All right. Me we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of Way of the Blade. 